Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week, I'm joined by Miami coach Manny Diaz. The Miami native and former defensive coordinator for the Hurricanes is just a few months into his first year as a head coach. We'll talk about how Diaz growing up in Miami can help him turn the Canes back into a championship program. One note, we are recording this episode about a week before it publishes because I am going on vacation. So if there is something in the news over the next few days that doesn't get mentioned by me over the next 30 minutes or so, that is why. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us just about wherever you download your podcast. Please subscribe and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of AP's college football coverage. And away we go. I'm joined this week on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast by Manny Diaz, the new coach of the Miami Hurricanes. Coach, thanks so much for joining us today and for talking a little bit about your team. And uh, a belated congratulations on the new gig. Uh, thank you, Ralph. Uh, it's been exciting. And uh, in fact, we're just about all the way done through spring practice. It's crazy. It's, uh, it's gone by in a flash. Yeah, I'm sure this has been a whirlwind for you. And I want to take you back to the beginning of that whirlwind. I'm not going to talk too much about how you stepped into this job. But I, I am curious. I know you've answered this before. But that 24 to 36 hour period when Mark Rick steps down and you had already been named the coach of Temple, you're already doing that job. What were your emotions like during that time when this decision came across your desk, this, this opportunity came to you at that particular time in your life? What's, what's absurd is we talked 24 to 36 hours. It was, it might've been six hours. <laughs> I mean, from, from, from beginning to end, it was, it was around 1230 on a Sunday afternoon, which was the first time I had gotten any uh, wind of this going on. And, and I think by the time the sun went down that night, I think I had a pretty good idea that, that, um, that I'd be named the head coach at Miami. So it, that, that, that is a remarkable turnaround. Um, I don't know any other stories that are like it. I'm sure there might be some at some point, but, um, and the emotions, I mean, there were so many mixed emotions. It was one, first and foremost, for, for Mark, um, who I knew well and, and consider a friend, and and trying to piece together what would have gone through his mind to come to that decision. And and then secondly, for Temple, because, you know, you do hear about these stories from time to time, and suddenly you realize that you're right in the middle of, of this story. Um, and then third, the opportunity to be the, the head football coach of your of your hometown team. Um, I'll be honest with you, I had a hard time, even when it was kind of becoming a reality that night, I had a hard time saying out loud that I was the head coach at the University of Miami. It did just, it just, you know, it, it, it literally did not seem real. Um, and people say that all the time, but in this, in this case, it was, it was, it fit. Yeah, it, it was, it, that's true. I, you know, 24 to 36 hours, you wish you had that much time to make up your mind and deal with all that you had to process. It was a, it's, it's a remarkable story. And people, I think, now have gotten to, because you're now the head coach at Miami, you've been written about a lot more, profiled on Real Sports at HBO. So people have gotten to know your story a little more and your connections to Miami. 
Your father was mayor. You are the parent of immigrants, Cuban immigrants. You grew up in Dade County and, and sort of lived, the, your, lived your youth through the glory days of Miami Univers- of the University of Miami's greatest football success. So we know about all the connections to the community, to the school, to the city of Miami. It's great to have those, but how do they, how do you put those connections to work to make Miami a, a championship program again? Yeah, but first it really comes down to understanding the, the quintessential resource here, which is the, the talent, um, understanding the way that, that football is coached here, starting at a youth level, um, and sort of rededicating the program to, to be a dominant force in, in recruiting in South Florida. Um, the, the recruiting landscape has changed um, from when, you know, on that run when Miami was, you know, was, you know, sort of on king of the mountain in the 80s and 90s into the early 2000s. It's, it is a different – recruiting is just a different ball game than it was back then. But at the same time, um, you know, we, we've got this great resource here. We've, we, are, we are surrounded by great players that, that – um, everybody in the country is coming here to try and recruit, and if we can, if we can first and foremost, you know, put a product on the field that these guys want to come play at and establish great relationships inside these communities, um, I think that's the understanding. And then being great evaluators and, and 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 kids down here that aren't sometimes you know ranked whatever you know whatever these rankings are, um, perhaps it's highly, but we know that there are certain fields down here that if you're if, if if you're a baller on on these fields, that that means it translates well that you'll be a baller on Saturdays in college football. You know, it's interesting you talked about the changing landscape. Let me let me ask you a little bit more about that. How has it changed? I know maybe you get a few more teams down there, but what what is the landscape? How has the landscape changed from when Miami was just able to essentially put a wall around Dade County and those players were mostly the core of a championship team? Can that still be uh, First of all, can that still be done? Well, I think it can be done. I don't know if it'll ever be done to that point because there are so many differences um First and foremost, it's just, it's just hard to keep a secret. Um, you know, back then, you know, the way the recruiting used to work, a, a coach would have to go, you know, fly somewhere, you know, find out about a kid, maybe watch him practice, maybe watch him in a spring game, something like this, and then and then bring a VHS tape. If he get his hands on a VHS tape, bring, bring a VHS tape back to his school or have a co- high school coach mail him a VHS tape or have a recruiting service mail him a tape. It was it was a very difficult process, and then you'd have to kind of, you know, go through that tape and really try to figure out who this guy is. Um, and as a result, there were a lot of players that sort of slipped through the cracks through that process. There might be a kid at a, that wasn't at a perennial powerhouse high school that maybe that didn't get as much foot traffic. Now, if you're a guy, you know, you can create your own highlight tape. You can put on huddle and everyone. You, in, in theory now, you, we don't even have to go out recruiting in the springtime, not to evaluate whether they can play or not. I mean, you see it. You can watch it all online, and the players have Twitter profiles now. It's so much easier to communicate. Remember remember, remember this? Remember a long-distance phone call? <laughs> remember that, you know? And so, you know, it was hard for anyone. I remember when I was growing up, I mean, you never pressed, you were, I mean, making a long distance phone call that, you know, that around the house, that was like, no, that was like the forbidden thing. Like, you know, you, it felt like it cost like a million dollars. You know, now, you know, if you grow up now, you don't know what that is. Um, not to mention, you know, text messaging and direct messaging. And there's so many ways to communicate now. So the world is a much, much smaller place than it was in the eighties and nineties in, in terms of recruiting. And, and then I think the last part is just, 
you know, what the, what the colleges have done in terms of facility upgrades and the unofficial visit, which has become a big thing. Kids are traveling a lot more now, um, either with seven-on-seven teams or with their, their coaches are taking them this place and that place to camps. I think, I think recruiting was a much more regional exercise. Um, back then it's turned into a much more of a national exercise. Now I think football, there's always been forces that have been trying to pull football into, into what basketball has been in recruiting, similar to like AAU. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think all those have put us in a different spot than where we were 20 years ago. Now, there are, there's some good data that sort of backs up that if you have pretty good star ratings in your recruiting, that, that will end up benefiting you on the field. That mostly, more, more often than not, the teams that, that come away with the ratings that are, that are very high end up being pretty good on the field and maybe even better than pretty good. However, you, you made an interesting point there about maybe getting a little too sucked into the stars. At a program like Miami, I think it, it comes with an expectation that you're going to recruit the the five stars and the four stars. So what is the pressure like or maybe what what is the strategy like when your maybe your fan expectations are hey why don't we have you know why aren't we top 10 why aren't we top 5 in recruiting and maybe you can turn around and say yeah yeah no don't worry about the star rating so much trust us in the evaluation. It feels like that pressure is different at a, a program like Miami when you know to be a, a more of a, a uh, identify and develop program when the fans sort of say, Hey man, we're in Miami. We're in Florida. You need to get the stars. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's a, we could talk for an hour on that. The, the, you know, you can, you can get into star chasing and that, and that could create a problem. Number one, we have to make sure that any player we bring into our locker room fits in into the culture of our locker room, because we're going to have a bunch of, you know, we're, we're still going to have to win at home in terms of recruiting and our, you know, in my mind, historically South Florida kids have usually been under ranked um, by the recruiting services going back to, you know, again, to when Miami was, was in its heydays. So, you know, we, we can't sit and watch lists and, and have those decide, you know, who we think can and can't play. We're also in an area where we, we have outstanding high school football. We've got great high school football coaches who, you know, no one really has to do more with less. I mean, we're, we're so underfunded and undersupported at the high school level here. So as a result, a lot of our players are going to be underdeveloped. Uh, we just don't have the strength programs that you have in other states. We don't. We certainly don't have nutrition like you have in some other states. And so these kids that that come out of these schools down here, um, no matter what they look like on high school film, they're going to be something different. So we can't, I mean, we would be absurd if we sat around and said, oh, you know, this kid has a three-star ranking. If we take him, there's some, you know, algorithm that says we, we're going to reduce our chances of winning the national championship. I mean, that, because that kid in, in, in two years' time, when he finally gets into our strength program and eats on our campus and this, that, and the other, you know, he may be as good or as, you know, that five-star guy or whatever. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you, it is important to recruit. I, I, I don't say that, you know, you you know, you're, it's hard to win. It's hard to compete at the top level if you're, you know, way down in the rankings. But I think for more than anything, you have to be true to who you want, to be true to your evaluations and what you see these guys becoming, uh, not just who they are, because some, certain guys are sometimes are tapped out. You know, they've gotten as good as they can get because of great coaching and great programs. So you have to factor all that in. That's so interesting, the development part of that as far as the pool you're recruiting out of. And I think one of the reasons why people have always thought Georgia was really re- ready to become this great program that Kirby Smart has has made it and that Mark Rick was able to build it up into as well was that the high school systems and in Georgia were really becoming 
great breeding grounds for development of those players. And again, that's not a knock on any of the coaches and other places, but there was a lot of resources being pumped into Georgia high schools that were similar to like Texas high schools. And depending on where you're, what high schools you're recruiting out of, again, it's not a knock on the kids or the coaches, but there might just not be as many resources to get this kid developed in the way that maybe he's ready to play college football. Um, and you, but and you think that that might be something that requires more work in, from South Florida kids? A lot of times, yes. You know, a lot of times, yes. And that's and that's why, you know. You know, college football to me is it's really there's there's three crucial elements, right? Number one is player evaluation. You know, you you got, you got to make sure that you're on the right guys and you have to trust their evaluation. Um, you know, obviously, then the, the 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 other sequence of that is player acquisition. I mean, you've got to have a, you know, you've got to be able to acquire the players. You got to make them choose you. You don't get to draft them. You know, so so those, you know that in essence, you know, sums up the recruiting process. But but more than anything is player development. You know, and, and and how you choose to, to develop the guys when they get on on your campus, because if they if they think they've arrived by whatever they've ranked, you know, you're you're going to hit your head on a ceiling. So, you know, you want to be known as a, as a program that develops its players. You know, we we take a lot of pride here defensively. The last couple of years, you know, we you know we finished you know in the top five in a bunch of categories here. We didn't have a five star guy play on our defense. Uh, I think we've had one five star guy play on our defense the last three years, and I feel like we've played on at a pretty high level over those times. And that's not, that's not to, to stick our chest down and say it's coaching. That's, it's not coaching. It's development. We feel like our player, we, we, you know, I wouldn't slight our guys. I, I wouldn't trade our guys for anybody because when we play, you know, I like the way those guys play. They play like, you know, whatever star equivalent you want to put on them. That's that when we show up on Saturday, we feel like uh, we don't take a backseat to anybody. And that's, that was our mentality defensively. And now we want to bring that to the entire team. Let me ask you one more thing about evaluation, because I know from a coaching standpoint and when you were a defensive coordinator, you were a, an assistant coach who liked to look at numbers and identify what numbers you can find that will lead to success. Where What stats are important in the long run to evaluating and to getting to, to play winning football? Are there things you can do sort of in an analytical perspective to evaluate? Are there ways to evaluate players that maybe, and again, this is without necessarily giving away your state's, your, your secrets here, but is there anything you can do in the analytics area that will help you evaluate players? Oh, boy. You know, we, you're, you're right. I mean, we, we, we do try to, to, you know, be on the cutting edge of anything we can, you know, analytically. Um, recruiting is challenging, you know, because we – it is hard to go apples for apples in terms of what you see in high school football, right? Because a guy that might put up these numbers in, in, in this district might be different than a guy that puts up numbers in that district. Mm-hmm. Um, at times, even if you go on physical attributes, unless you, unless you get it documented on your campus um, with some things that are, you know, you know, that are, that are easily measurable. I mean, there's, you know, it's hard to tell what a true 40 time is hard to tell what a true, you know, jump measurement is. I mean, you just, you just, you don't really, and then we've we've had guys come on our campus and run forties, and they've never been taught how to run a forty. They can't even get in a stance, <laughs> you know. And they they may run a four seven, and it's obvious the kid's a four five because on the start he gave away two tenths of a second. So, you know, it is you're always trying to look for that edge. I think if somebody had it, I think you know they could write a book on it. But uh, but there's just so many variables as it comes to uh, the transition from high school football to college. We're on the AP Top Twenty Five College Football Podcast. I'm talking with Manny Diaz, the new coach of the Miami Hurricanes. Coach, I want to take a quick break. We will be back in just a second to finish up with Manny Diaz on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Manny Diaz, new coach of the Miami Hurricanes, is joining me today. 
So you did some very good work. Um, I know your fans are very excited about the work you guys did in, in bringing in some transfers, diving into the transfer portal. Players like uh, Jalen Phillips and Tate Martell, Bubba Bolden, K.J. Osborne. These are players who might have a, a chance to make some real impact for you this year. What I want to ask you is sort of a bigger picture question about the portal. It's new to college football. This is the first time you're running a program, so it's not necessarily that you had to tweak your program structure to match the portal. But I am wondering how much sort of manpower and resources you're putting into tracking the players that are in there to see if they fit Miami in a multitude of ways. Yeah, you have to be thorough. I mean, no different than than you have to be thorough in your in your high school recruiting. I mean, you have to be thorough in terms of who these guys are, what's their situation. Every what we found is every situation is different. Why why are they looking for a new place? Why are they leaving? Um, and how would they fit in with our guys in the locker room? Because you know, again, if you bring in a transfer, there's somebody you know that probably plays that position that's wondering why you brought that guy in ahead of time. What, what's given us what gave us some help is that we've for three straight years defensively we brought in a grad transfer and and and, and and that guy really had great success in our defense, really acclimated well with the other players. And there was always an obvious reason. We were either really short on depth that number. We might have needed a, you know, a, a starter-type body at, at, at that position. And, and we found ourselves in a similar situation as an entire team in January. You know, we, we, we have a, uh, just a, a bizarre circumstance. We have a very, very small senior class. We had less than 10 seniors returning on our football team. Um, and four of them play the same – basically play our three linebacker spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had 10 or 11 scholarships left to give at the turn of the year. So, you know, the high school store had a little bit been picked clean, but we wanted age. We wanted age in our team because even if we didn't, let's just say um, we didn't sign a transfer, an older guy. Well, if, if you if you go throughout the calendar year and, and you only graduate 10 seniors, that means you can only sign 10 guys. Not, you know, it may increase a little bit, but you, you're going to have a really small recruiting class in the next class, which is really our first big class of the new staff. So, it just made some sense to bring in some age. Uh, I think, you know, one by one, all the guys um, filled a void and sort of ticked the box for us that uh, that we made sure that could help us on the field and not disrupt our locker room. I know that the portal and the new transfer rules have been a hot-button issue. Some coaches, it drives them nuts. The idea that they, the players are getting a little more freedom, it's becoming a little more like free agency. I understand the concerns about that. But from the portal standpoint, I also feel like it provides a little bit of structure to a system that was sort of a little Wild West. So now the way you used to be able to hear about a transfer was sort of through the grapevine. Do you find it that the transparency and the structure is at least a positive in this process? No, there's no doubt. There, there, there's no doubt. And um and really, all we've done is we've just we've just taken away the the right for a school to deny the the, the young man to talk to a different school. Really, not much has changed, and and things like this have been happening in in, in other sports for for a lot longer. Just kind of it sort of became a you know hot button issue in, in football because in my mind it just kind of has a fancy name like the portal, and all of a sudden it sort of took right. on a life of its own. So, um, but what we do need, there, we do have an issue. We do have an unintended consequence. You know, when we made a rule a couple of years ago of trying to prevent the oversigning. And we capped initial scholarships uh, at 25 a year. What's happened is, you know, you've got the big number, you got the big 85 cap, and then you've got the, you, you've got this ability to bring 25 initial players in every year. Well, what we've done now by 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 increasing the ability for kids to transfer, and, and, and this is not a discussion of whether that's right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, you have to have a, a, the ability to replace them on your team. So, like for example, let's just say you lose 25 seniors. 
you're at 85 scholarships, 25 kids graduate, so you're down to 60, right? You want to replace them, you're going to sign 25 incoming freshmen. Let's say they're all freshmen. They could be junior college, transfer, it doesn't matter. You can bring 25 guys in. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say 10 other kids on your team to choose now to transfer and go somewhere else. Okay, you're, you're now knocked down to 75, and you cannot replace that number. And let's say the following year just so happens, that for the sake of easy math, you have 25 seniors on that next team. You're going to have 75 kids on scholarship. Those 25 kids are going to graduate. Bang, you're down to 50. Mm-hmm. And you can still only replace those kids with, with, with 25 new players. And, again, let's say seven kids decide to transfer off that team. Um, so what's happening is you're not going to ever get, be able to get back to your number of 85. That's the school's issue. The player's issue is we, if we want to give more freedom for these young men to have the opportunity to transfer, they need somewhere to transfer to. Mm-hmm. So, again, let's just say we signed in that first illusion or, or analogy, if we signed 25 kids at a high school and all of a sudden all these kids come in the transfer portal, and we have 10 kids transfer, we can't replace those 10. So you're actually creating um, a supply of, of these players out there that don't all have a place to go. Um, and there is a rule in, in, in the transfer portal that anyone that enters the, the transfer portal at the end of that semester does not have to be brought back on scholarship by their school. And that's no good for anybody because you have a chance for a young man that wants to maybe try the portal. Um, he could, their door could shut behind them, and he could actually, just by sheer numbers, not have a place to go. That's a bad, that's a bad thing. So to me, that's something that, that needs to be addressed. I think it would be better for the student-athletes, and, and certainly it would benefit the programs. Yeah, that's interesting because the you're right the timing of the portal they they are allowed to be on scholarship through the semester, but depending on when they go in there, they could find themselves sort of shut out. As you said, it, I think right. I had this conversation with David Shaw. He had said that there there was up to maybe like a couple of, a thousand or so names in there. Well, where are all these kids going? You yeah, know? there's not a spot for them. Let me ask you about one. Well, two two particular transfers. We'll we'll save Tate Martell for a second because I know he's gotten a lot of attention. I want to talk to you about your quarterbacks, but Jeff Thomas was an interesting situation because you know he had announced that he was transferring to Illinois and then decided to come back to Miami. He was maybe the best offensive player on Miami last year. You would probably have a better idea of that, but he was certainly a pretty spectacular player when he was healthy. How did that come about? That that you managed to get Jeff to come back and was that awkward in any way? You know bringing him back into the locker room. Uh, give me a little insight on to bringing Jeff Thomas back to Miami. You know, it was uh, when, when I first got the job and, and you know, I had kind of heard a whisper perhaps that, that maybe Jeff was not, you know, would, would potentially have an interest. Um, and, you know, I was disappointed to see him go. I, I did think he was our best player on offense a year ago. Um, and, you know, you look around and, and, you know, in quote-unquote recruiting, I felt like he was the best recruit we could get. And so we sort of were able to put some feelers out and see if that was true. Um, at the same time, you know, you're, you, I quickly did the exact same thing in our locker room. And I took about, you know, six to eight guys in our locker room that I, that I respect. And this is where that kind of having that institutional knowledge, your program sort of helps. And I said, hey, how would you, how would you feel if, you know, you know, if if we brought him back and 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 you know you get you get the answers and and it was all positive and the guys wanted him back and some of those guys had been in contact with Jeff you know because Jeff had never you know they were friends and he had never broken those relationships so so that's really how the whole process started and and um, you know it had to explain you know the differences what would be similar in our program what would be different you know what would be his expectation if he did come back and um, and I think Jeff was drawn to all those things and and uh, and ultimately I, I think what we really found is he never really wanted to leave um, and you know it's, these guys are young it's you know they're they're 
you know, they don't always make decisions that they want to, and 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 it was emotional at that time, and and be able to kind of talk talk him through it, and I think he brought, you know, he was happy to come back, and he's he's had a very good spring semester for us. Now let's uh, roll through the team a little bit, and you can't, I, I can't start anywhere but quarterback, and I mentioned Tate Martell. Transfer from Ohio State, former blue chip quarterback prospect, never really got much of a chance to shine at Ohio State, but he was also playing behind some pretty impressive players in JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins. He gets a waiver, so he's eligible immediately, thrown into a mix with Nikozi Perry and Jaron Williams. I know you've only got you've got the spring game coming up this week, so you've had a pretty good look. How much progress has been made in this quarterback competition? Well, uh, the biggest recruit we signed this year was actually Dan Enos. Um, and be able to get him through the the transfer portal from Alabama was, was a huge <laughs> boost in the arm for, for for our program, and not just because of schematically what what he's doing with our offense, but just the way he develops quarterbacks. and And I've been fortunate to sit in there and, and listen to him coach those guys every day. Um, Tate has has already accomplished mission number one for us. Is that is that what, what we what we loved about him was that we knew he was a he was a football junkie. He was a gym rat. Um, you know, love the game, love, you know, thinking through the game. And we felt like we, we, we had a young sort of immature quarterback room a year ago. Um, and so to bring a little bit of that, um, that demeanor in that room was something that we felt like would benefit all of our guys and really, really spark a, a, a great competition. Um, that's happened exactly the way that, that we thought it would and hoped it would um, going through the spring. Um, all three of those guys, I think, have increased their level of play. All three of those guys, over the balance of what we've seen through, you know, 13 days of, of spring practice, have 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 shown that they can do it. You know, and, and the issue now is that can you be the guy to be the, the the quarterback at the University of Miami? So they all give, they all provide something a little bit different. And and uh, and so what they what we really have spent these five weeks of spring practice doing is really just getting the basics of the offense installed and just understanding the nuances of the passing game. The starting quarterback at the University of Miami is going to be the guy that in the summertime perfects it, and not perfects it, but gets the but gets the best grasp of it, um, because that way we can get back in August and have a week or two, and then really decide who we're going to go behind. And um, and so those guys know that that this was almost sort of their, you know, sort of their review session. They're in the summer; they have to own it with the players that at the time when us as coaches are not allowed to be there. Um, and then we'll find out, you know, who it is. And 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 I, again, I think we've got a good thing going right now. It's an interesting circumstance in that a lot of times when you bring in a transfer quarterback, it's sort of almost out of, well, we're very thin here. We don't maybe maybe because of you know attrition in one way or the other, we're stuck with a walk on or or a kid who we didn't really expect to play. But you know, Nikozi Perry played a bunch last year, and Jaron Williams was a pretty big recruit as well. Again, if you want to buy into the, the recruiting analysis and rankings, so. You now have three guys who came in to college with a fair amount of hype and, you know, guys who were sort of considered pretty big prospects coming in. I would think that makes it a unique room because they, you know, if I'm Nikozi, I don't look at Tate and think, well, that guy's here to take the job. And I, I guess they just like him better than me. I would think all three of those guys, and this is not always the case when you bring a, a high profile transfer in, but I would think all three of those guys think, no, 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 I am absolutely as good as every, anybody in here and will win this job. And that's what, and, and that's exactly what we wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we wanted to, you know, this is the University of Miami and, and at every position, we got to get some competition. Mm-hmm. You know, because what happens is that you 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 know you just kind of if you got some guys that think they're going to win the job by default or just 
they kind of know we wanted everybody out of their comfort zone a little bit. I mean, we wanted we wanted some guys to say, uh, gosh, you know, I mean, if I don't come in and study extra, if I don't ask this extra question in the meeting, that then it's not going to happen for me. Um, and it's and you know everybody wants to, you know, focus on a quarterback, which makes sense. But but we wanted that down the whole roster of just guys really having to do something differently. You know, when you win seven games, you you can't do the same thing. You know, I mean, <laughs> so we, we we really wanted to create this idea of like, hey, like what what. But we've been doing, you know, it, whatever reason, it didn't work. So let's let's try something else. The quarterback position always gets a ton of attention when the offense doesn't play well. Last year, that was a problem. But it's never just the quarterback position. Uh, the offensive line had some struggles last year. It seemed like you played players who might be maybe you didn't want to play quite so quickly. How does that get better this year? Well, there's a lot of ways. I mean, one, we were very young on the offensive line mm-hmm. a year ago, and so those guys, we expect them to make natural steps uh, for a lot of those guys and in, in, in their natural development. You know, we think Butch Berry's doing a great job. We've seen that with those guys so far this spring. I think you can do some things schematically to help out your offensive line. And then what, what our quarterbacks have been learning is that the quarterbacks are really responsible for for their own pass protection. Um you know, and, and, and one thing that Danny knows does a great job of is teaching our guys how to how to manage the pocket, understanding that on, on you know, it's a, there's been studies in the NFL that on, I think it's something like 54% of all drop back passes, you're not going to have a clean pocket. Deal with it, you know. I mean, you can stand there like a statue and get sacked, or you can understand how to keep your eyes down the field, on and, and that's going to be a big part of who becomes our quarterback, you know. Can you step up? Can you buy time? Can you wait for the routes to come open? Do you know where the ball goes so you don't sit there and, and, and sit there and pat it and take a sack. And, and so it's easy. You know, I, I always say, you know, people a lot of times want football to, to operate in a vacuum. You know, if you're getting a lot of sacks, your offensive line must not be good. If you can't run the ball, your offensive line must not be good. If you can't do this and that, you know, side, must, side of the ball must not be good. And a lot of times there's a, that's just not the way the game of football works. Um, the whole thing kind of goes in it together. And, um, and everybody's responsible. You know, you, you, you know, you can, you can you can change coverages and make yourself the best pass defense in the country. You can change coverages and sell it to stop the run, make yourself the worst de- pass defense in the country with the same group of defensive backs. Um, so a lot of times there are schematic choices that can really affect um, you know what it lo- what the product looks like out there. The defense has been spectacular the last few years, and it's one of the reasons why you've probably had the job you have now, because the defense has been really good at Miami the last couple of years. You've lost some key players in Gerald Willis, who had a great year last season. Uh, Joe Jackson, a really good defensive lineman and pass rusher. Jaquan Johnson, who was in some ways the player who in some ways most embodied the turnover chain over the last couple of years. Um, but you do bring back some really good linebackers in Shaq Waterman, Zach McLeod, Michael Pinckney. Where are the other places on the defense that need some rebuilding and maybe need some tweaking, and where are the places that you, when you go to bed at night you are most comfortable with, that, with those uh, positions? Well, like you said, I mean, every, in every sport, defensively, it always starts up the middle, right? You know, so you know, losing Gerald and Tito Denimbo, the two couple defensive tackles, that was a big loss. But having those linebackers behind, you know, the guys have to make all the decisions. Um, it's great to have experience there. We, 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 and, and at the safety position, we lost two senior safeties, but we've got some guys like Amari Carter and um, Gervin Hall, some guys that, 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 you know, that have been in the system, that have, that, have, that have played a bunch, Derek Smith and Rob Knowles. And so we, we do have some experience, of course, and a guy like Bubba Bolden you know, coming in from SC. So, we, again, you want to be strong at the middle, um, and so that will be important. Um, you know, we feel like we've got some, some defensive ends that can, that can create problems for some people, and, and you know, and then it, and the same thing will happen out of corner. We lost a couple, two of our top three uh, corners, so that's been a big point of emphasis for us. 
Um, and then, like everybody, you're, you're really just trying to develop your depth. I mean, I think I think that's a part of, of the program where you're trying to get more bodies in, get better depth, and, and again, the better depth uh, also provides better competition. So what we know defensively is everything starts again every year. Uh, we have to reestablish your identity every year that you can't ever assume that because we did X, Y, and Z last year that it will naturally happen the following year. And, and that starts, again, with just the style of play and, and the way we run to the ball and the way we tackle. And, and, and we never assume that because we did it well in one year, uh, we'll do it again the next year. I'll finish up with this. Uh, again, it was a whirlwind that took you into this position. Uh, you had to hit the ground running because you were hired at an odd time of the year in January when you have to catch up on recruiting and things along those lines. Have you had a second to sort of sit back and say, wow, I'm the coach of Miami. This is pretty cool. You know, I, 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 that was like the first day, and then you wake up the next day, and it's like, and and, you, and like the job's like, let's go, because you know it's, you know, to them much is given, much is expected, and 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 it's kind of been along that ride um, ever since, and um, you know, it's it's cool to have a great staff of people. You know, I think I think you know it's easy to talk about one guy, but you know, as you know now, college football is such a is such a group effort, and. Uh, and so it's just been fun. I, 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 I will say I've, I've been enjoying it. it the, the, the fit has been it's it's been it's natural and and it's been good. And but we know the games are coming, and we know that the you know whatever improvements we we say we're making, it's got to be real because we'll find out where we're at in the in the fall. And that's the most important thing to prepare ourselves uh, to be hard to beat this. Um, this fall. The work is the fun, right? Isn't that that's the way that works, right? The work, the, the hard work, and the whirlwind. That is the fun of this, isn't it? Absolutely. Hey, Manny, thank you so much for joining me, Manny Diaz, head coach for the University of Miami. Appreciate the time and good luck this season. Thanks a ton for having me. Enjoy this. And now three and out. And since this is the last podcast I'm going to record before the NFL draft, we'll make this a three and out all about some of my favorite players in the draft who probably won't be first round draft picks. First down. I think BC defensive end Zach Allen could end up being better than some of the other linemen in this class who are getting way more hype. He may not be a huge pass rusher, but I see Allen as a solid all around player who makes an impact early and often in his NFL career. Some team will get a really good bargain, I think, with Oklahoma running back Rodney Anderson, who is coming off a knee injury. If Anderson was healthy, he might be talked about as the first running back off the board in this draft. Second down. I really like the athleticism and relentlessness of North Carolina State linebacker Jermaine Pratt. He's one of those guys who grew out of being a safety but still has pretty good speed. I would not be surprised at all if he ends up being the best linebacker in this class eventually. Uh, There are always so many corners drafted. This class is deep, though it lacks high first-round grades. The guy I like a lot is Penn State's Amani Uwarie. My one complaint was he seemed to drop quite a few potential interceptions when I watched him play, but the good news is he gets his hands on a lot of passes and is usually in position to make plays. Third down. At quarterback, West Virginia's Will Greer hasn't gotten talked much about, but I like his athleticism and the fact that he has played a lot of football. He's also kind of a tough guy. He reminds me of a little bit of Baker Mayfield, but maybe he's more of a poor man's Baker Mayfield. And I could see him being a guy who gets drafted in the fourth round, but ends up becoming a starter, let's say, like Dak Prescott. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. 
you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One and just about anywhere else you get your podcast. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.